Influencing popular culture, politics, and everything in between. The local station takes you ringside as we discuss the crazy world that is professional wrestling. This is Going Ringside with The Local Station. Hello there, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Going Ringside. I'm Scott Johnson. So glad you could join us today. Talk about, talk about this crazy world that is pro wrestling. And on this episode, um, I'm excited about because we're talking about one of my longtime favorites. But first, if you want to go back and watch last week's show, got a lot of good response on episode 29, um, the firing of CM Punk by AEW and kind of what's going on with that whole drama. We covered it in depth, uh, talked to an entertainment lawyer about whether or not this could turn into any sort of uh, legal wrangling. Um, just a, a fun episode, an important episode with everything that's going on right now. So we watch what's going to happen with CM Punk in the future. You can go back and listen to episode 29 right now, wherever you get your podcasts. But today, excited to be joined by Double A, Arn Anderson, one of the all-time greats, to talk to him about his time for really 40 years as a, a regular fixture in this crazy industry. We're also going to talk a lot about the Four Horsemen, where Arn really um, became a, a national and eventually global name. Um, so Arn Anderson, his real name is Marty Lundy, born not too far north of us, up in Rome, Georgia, although he wasn't really portrayed as that when he became nationally known. So he was really big in mid-Atlantic, Georgia championship wrestling, world-class, before he became known a fixture on WTBS on Saturday afternoons at 6.05 Eastern um, a, for WCW Saturday Night World Championship Wrestling, the old show in the 80s that they did with Tony Schiavone in the TV studio. It had a much smaller, uh, much smaller feel, but wrestling fans who grew up in that time, like me, have just a nostalgic uh, memory of it. And that is where he kind of came in and became nationally known alongside uh, his older guy who shared the same name, not real life related, but it appeared that way on the show, Ole Anderson, and they became the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. Even though Arn Anderson was originally from Georgia, he was portrayed as from Minnesota as one of the Andersons, and they became a very hot top-level tag team winning the title. And eventually they kind of morphed with these two other heels right around 1985-1986. Tully Blanchard, who was near the top, and the nature boy Ric Flair, who was on top. And they started slowly, and I just kind of went through all this watching old uh, NWA, WCW stuff, as they slowly kind of unofficially declared themselves the Four Horsemen. And then as the weeks went by, they were like, yep, we are the stable. We are the top of this game. We are the top of this industry. And Rick, Arn, Tolly, Oli would just tear people apart from Dusty Rhodes to the Road Warriors to Magnum TA before Magnum was injured. Um, and they really ran roughshod over the competition. And they really, I think, laid out what a dominant company controlling stable should look like. They had Rick on top, they had Ole and Arn as essentially your tag team, and then they had um, Tully Blanchard as kind of a TV champ or a US champ type guy. And they really 
controlled the company. They were the dominant force. They set the template for what a dominant stable should look like. And we're going to talk a little more about the greatest stables of all time later in the show. But Arn Anderson stuck with it. And then eventually uh, Ole kind of separated himself and was getting older and backed away from the four horsemen. They brought in kind of a rotating fourth guy. First it was Lex Luger, then it was Barry Windham, eventually Sid Vicious joined with them. And the horsemen are around for a while and Arn was almost always there with one exception. Him and Tully Blanchard had started tagging um, in WCW and by 1988, they jumped ship and went to the World Wrestling Federation and were booked on top as a tag team very quickly. In your time when you had the Hart Foundation and the Rockers, the Brit I think the British Bulldogs were still there in some form at that point. Eventually, the Road Warriors showed up. And they had a very good run um, with Bobby Heenan as their manager in WWF. But Arn was always considered a WCW guy. It always seemed that way, and he didn't last long there, him and Tully, and Tully eventually went off to do other things, but Arden returned to WCW. And he had a lot of roles, um, multiple world title, or excuse me, world TV title runs. Rick had gone away and then eventually come back. And in the early 90s, after he had teamed with guys like Larry Zabisco, uh, he recomprised the Horsemen around 1993. It was kind of a new iteration of the Horsemen. The, the primary fixtures were Ric Flair and the, quote, enforcer, Arn Anderson, who was always portrayed as Rick's best friend. And then they brought in other guys. They brought in uh, Dean Malenko. They brought in Chris Benoit. They brought in Mongo McMichael. And the Horsemen were very strong. Um, Hulk Hogan had eventually come into WCW by that point and was taking all the publicity. But Arn and Rick were kind of his nemesis. Things changed, though, kind of around 96, and that was when the NWO showed up. For 10 years, roughly, um, the Horsemen had been the dominant heel stable in the company. That changed when the NWO showed up, and everything was booked through Eric Bischoff around making um, the NWO look dominant. Um, and. Arn eventually did have to do real-life retirement. He talked, came and spoke in the middle of the ring. He had back and spinal issues and eventually had to, to walk away from active in-ring performing. Now, Arn was still a regular on-camera presence. Every once in a while, he'd get involved in in-ring work, um, and he was still very close with Rick. But eventually, he couldn't do the in-ring work anymore. Physically, he wasn't able, and Arn Anderson stepped away. Um, and then by the, around the turn of the century, when WCW is folding, Arn goes over to WWE at this point and becomes a backstage producer. And really stayed with WWE, I think, for like 15 to 18 years, a long time. He was a fixture backstage there, and they would bring Arn out because everyone knows Arn Anderson. Arn Anderson is one of the beloved, uh, most respected guys in the, in the industry because he was great technically in the ring. He could put on a great match with anyone, but he also had a very um, cerebral, grown-up way of speaking. Arn Anderson could do a lot of things on the mic that a lot of people couldn't. Rick obviously could do his shtick, uh, strutting, styling, profiling. Then you hand the mic to Arn, and he was still just as good. I think one of the things that was hard for me to hear, I heard an interview with Arn Anderson 
a few years back, and he talked about he in real life he's not that close with Rick. I don't mean that they're not close, but I mean you grow up, you start families, and you know, you, when you're grown ups, you can't hang out like you're running like it's 1986 from town to town anymore. Arn Anderson has kept a very stable family life all these years. Um, and then around 2019, Arn Anderson makes a surprise appearance in AEW. He finally leaves WWE, and he was one of the major kind of legends signing that AEW brought in. They brought in Jake Roberts. Uh, DDP would do a few appearances, but Arn Anderson has been there pretty um, consistently. We're going to talk to him momentarily about how much he likes it at AEW. Um, and he was, he was booked with Cody Rhodes when Cody was still there, and Cody was their top guy. And it kind of looked like Arn and Dusty. It just reminded you of his dad, Dusty Rhodes, who Arn feuded with all those years. Um, and then eventually, Cody left to AEW. And I talked to Arn about that in our interview here, that you'll hear momentarily. And he stuck around managing guys like Wardlow, and he said, it doesn't sound like Arn has any plans on leaving AEW anytime soon. Looks like he's enjoying life in wrestling. Personally, however, and we're going to talk to him about that, Arn did deal with some tragedy in the last year. Arn Anderson's um, son, Barrett, I think he was only 37 years old, passed away. Just a tragedy. Um, we've seen others deal with similar things. Ric Flair deal, dealt with it. Kevin Nash dealt with it. And Arn has been um, pulled into that horrible fraternity of losing a child. And Arn lost his child earlier this year, and we talked to him about that in the show. He says, um, hardest thing he's ever gone through. I don't know that I'd heard him open up before, but he will hear um, on what it was like to lose his son. Um, so I want to get to our interview with Arn. There, there, there's enjoyable stuff, and there's some sad stuff as we talk to him about everything from the horseman to, to the current status of his family life, dealing with the loss of his son. Um, so let's get to it. Here's our interview with Double A, the enforcer, Arn Anderson. Well, we are excited and overjoyed right now to be joined by one of the legends, Arn Anderson, Double A, joining us right now. Arn, how have you been? Uh, things are picking up. Yeah. Uh, been home for a while. Yeah. Been off TV for a while. Last few weeks, I've kind of got a little bit business relationship going with Wardlow. Yeah, you've been dealing a lot with Wardlow. Well, yeah. he needs some guidance. He's a guy that got some bad information from. MJF, Darren, I say that he would lie to somebody and misuse them. You don't take a talent like that and turn him into a bouncer. Is Wardlow adjusting? I saw him doing moonsaults the other day. Hey, if he would have asked me about that beforehand, I would have said absolutely not. And then I watched him do it. Yeah. And I went, this guy knows exactly what he's doing. What's it like right now having MJF running things in this company, it seems like? Well, I want to say I can't stand that kid. I want to smack him in the mouth and any number of other things. But I, I kind of like him. <laughs> he reminds me of me a little bit. He does. You know, and even more so. Because uh, he got no problem stepping through the ropes and barking at virtually anybody on the roster. Yeah. In my day, you couldn't step through the ropes and walk up on the Road Warriors or the Steiners, mm -mm. Dr. Death, Steve Williams, or Haku, or any of those killers, Harley Race. <laughs> it would have never happened. But this kid has, dare I say, the cojones 
to step in there and man he is verbally shutting everybody down yeah did you know that would happen two years ago that he had that in him I saw something in him but I wasn't aware that he was as far along as a wrestler yeah. than he was I knew he had that swagger and you know my opinion is he took a few shortcuts as far as swearing and some of that to get him started and get the heat rolling around him, yeah which I wouldn't have done because I've worked for companies that never allowed it over the years mm -hmm. couldn't curse on TV you know if you would have said ass on uh, WTBS you'd have been fired and shipped out of the country yeah so but the thing is the more he's learning he's learning to be articulate and intelligent and that gets a lot more heat especially when you end it with some condescending comment you know what I mean we've had a lot of very good heels that you've known by quite well over the years Ric Flair Roddy Piper Tully Blanchard how do you compare him with those guys well he's not there yet at the 10-year mark let's talk and uh, because let's face it you know when you build the, the guys that you just mentioned they built those characters pretty much off of who they were there wasn't a big stretch on any of those guys but it still took year after year after year in a body of work and at a performance level to where the fans knew they could talk they could work they had expectations and they always met them he's got a way to go yet. we've worked a lot in Jacksonville with the Khan family Tony and his dad Shad what have they been like to work for as a company I was ready to be through with the business when I left WWE yeah I mean I just had 19 years with incredible pressure to produce a ton of live television and working for Vince McMahon the expectations were unbelievable and I just got so burnt out I was ready to be done and then Cody Rhodes called me and said hey man I got a I got a company here that I'm working for and working with and I wish you'd just come have a look what do you think about what's happening with Cody? How do you, what do you think about it? Well, he's in uh, Shark Tank. Yeah. You know, he walked in with his eyes wide open. Lesnar has beat the crap out of him. I don't know if after that second beat down, I would have even showed back up. But, man, he's got guts, and he knows what he wants to be at the end of the day. He likes being a role model. He's not ashamed of it. You know, he likes being a guy that the kids can look up to. Uh, and when it's all said and done, you know, he's trying to compare his career to his dad's, but not. He don't want to be Dusty. He doesn't want to be anything that resembles uh, Dusty Rhodes' son wannabe. Mm -hmm. But he would love to have, I guess, the reputation and the lineage and all those adjectives I'm looking for that when it's all said and done, his dad was somebody that would have been very proud of him. Yeah. And I think that's what he's reaching for. And it's, uh, What's it like to have Dustin and Cody in separate companies right now? Well, we all wish Cody wouldn't have left, but I also have said in print that when a guy makes a decision based on the, the well-being of his family, then it can't be a wrong decision. You and Tully did that with WWF. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the best decision for our family at the time, but it was because 
You know, I've never argued about the running of the company too much and acted like I wanted to get into one of those roles. I just wanted to be a good soldier. And being a good soldier wasn't enough at the time we left. And in my humble opinion, when Tully Blanchett and myself left, Jim Crockett Promotions was never the same. Really? You couldn't repair it. Who would you have put in that slot to be the third and fourth horseman? So what was it like with that rotating horseman when you lost Ole and it's and it's Wyndham, then it's Sid, then it's Luger. Uh, well it was Luger next after yeah. Ole. Barry Wyndham, I feel like was probably from a performance standard, that group was the best. Ole and that very first original version was you can never do the first time a second time you know yeah you only get one crack at it and i thought we were damn good i would put those two head and shoulders above every other uh concoction that that came out there so you're in the dominant horseman you're in the dominant role your flares enforcer nwo shows up what does that do to the horseman well it would have been fine if you know we could have fought back yeah. Why weren't you allowed to, Bischoff? Well, I mean, that's the way the creative went. One of the most talked about things is their parody of the horseman, me in particular, when the NWO did that, right? That would have been fine if I would have still been in a position that we could have had a six-week program or six-month program. As long as... The guys that got wronged, other than getting your nose rubbed in it week after week after week after that, if we could have just fought back, that, that was the one mistake that I feel like we made. Let us fight back. I want to ask about something that's Jacksonville related. So right across the parking lot here, we may be getting a brand new stadium. I don't know if you've heard about that. Very excited about that. Why do you say that? Do you think AEW can utilize that? Because well, I'm part of the Con family. And unless they throw me out, I ain't leaving. And that kind of success for the for us, for the for the people that live here, for the sports enthusiasts or just the regular fans, that's a huge deal. Do you think AEW could utilize a brand new stadium like oh, this? Hell yes. Kidding me? Why not? Football players love me, by the way. Really? You know, I'm an old guy. I'm 64. Yeah. Walk some of these 30-year-old guys or grown men that watched me when they were eight. They know who I am. They get it. So you guys did matches out on the football field, like 10-guy matches. I've never seen anything like that ever in wrestling. I don't know that you'll ever see it again. Really? They fought all night. Yeah. You know, that was unbelievable. There's stuff that goes on now that if you go back and look, I didn't even come off the top rope in my career. That's Bill Watts stopped people from going over the top rope. And, I, and you know what? I was pissed about that for the guys that could do it. I wasn't pissed for my own skin and my own sake. Yeah. I'm real I'm real good with just staying on the mat. So I never saw anybody win a match in the air, have you? No, not very much. That'd be difficult. How, um, who do you keep in touch with in the industry? Um, Cody and I text, we talk. Uh, I gotta be perfectly honest with you, uh, Dax of FTR and I are good friends, but we're all kind of the same. Even now our, our schedule is picked up 
And when I'm off, I go home and my son and my dog and my wife, most, most importantly, my family are the most important thing to me. And I kind of cocoon myself. We don't have dinners with guys. I mean, there's still some wrestlers that live around in Charlotte and stuff. We're friends, like Barbarian, as How, an example. How's your family doing? I know it's been a hard few months. It's been the hardest thing I've ever went through. And, yeah. And mornings now are still bad. Really? Uh, evenings when everybody's went to bed and I'm kind of down on the couch, winding down, I still hear a, a familiar cough. It's bad. Other wrestlers have gone through similar things. Did you get calls afterward? The outpouring of comments and kindness that came from the wrestling community and the fans in general, but but guys in the business that, that apparently I had made some impact on in just a friendly way, yeah. you know what I mean? Sent out messages, and it helps to know people care about you, but. Then I started going back to work, and I don't know how to put this other than just to put it. It was, I was running into people walking down the hall who were trying to not make kind contact with me because they didn't know what to say. They, I mean, what do you say to somebody that's lost a son, 37 years old? Yeah. You know, and uh, it's hard to find the words. You want to say something because I've been in the situation, other shoe on the foot. To where what do i say that'll make them feel better there's nothing yeah. nobody has the words if they did there'd be a tree in there because they could print them and make us get through some of this it's still very raw for my family and it's it's the hardest thing i've ever been through sure so along the way in AEW, i've seen Tully show up i hear all these rumors of tony and rick being seen together and I think I saw JJ at one point was there ever been flirtation with the horsemen coming back together in some camp now I own the horseman trademark you do I do really okay you really are the enforcer interested you right that, yeah that boy you perked up yeah even even outsiders from the business as learned as you are about the business you got to see the value in that, don't you? That's very good value, absolutely. I would think so. And the next version, which will be hopefully the last, I would rather have my son be experienced enough that he could pull his own weight. Yeah. And I would want it to be four guys that you look at him and go, oh, shit. Excuse my language. This should be good. Yeah. Not just... So that, oh, there's the four horsemen and do the four fingers. And, you know, we were something special. A funny story. My daughter, high school teenager, starts telling me, all the kids are doing this at school. They just invented it. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, that's been around a while. All respect to your daughter and form her constituents. Wrong. <laughs> Absolutely wrong. Why do you stick with it? A lot of guys don't. You have. When I was eight years old, I saw Dick Slater and uh, Bob Orton Jr. and Wrestling 2 and some, some, some of the really old timers, the next generation that were ahead of me on television. And I watched it one time and I was hooked. I was just hooked, eight years old. Yeah. And I didn't have a B plan. I didn't want to get in the business and 
I wouldn't have known what a money grab was if you would have told me. I didn't know how much money they made. I just know that the beauty of those guys in the ring, I just wanted to do that. And I felt I could do it. And I never wanted to, to get in, make a lot of money in a short time period, and then just walk away. Why would I want to walk away? I've been doing this 40 years now. Do you enjoy doing the show with Conrad? I don't do it with him anymore. Oh, is it over? I'm it's, sorry. I'm no, not up to speed. Well, no, no. I'm still part of that podcast group. Okay. But he and I have not been co-hosts for probably a year. Oh, really? Okay. He's expanded and need to co-host other yeah. guys that have, you know, podcasts. So Paul Bromwell is co-host. He's a great guy. Yeah. Does a great job. And we have slowed our version of a podcast down to let's live my life and we'll do it a week at a time yeah and we'll have television clips and stuff that i didn't remember i still don't remember when i see it back i went how can i not remember that yeah and some stuff i go damn that was pretty good yeah so the people that have been at the table today most of them say i love the podcast i like the pacing god i didn't know that i didn't know you were funny <laughs> Okay. <laughs> that wasn't your character. I never tried to be funny, except yeah. in the locker room, and then that got hate too. Yeah. The ability to blister a bunch of big-ass grown men and get away with it, that's a, that's a prestigious position in sure. our business. Well, Arn Anderson, it has been an absolute pleasure. The original, the copyright holder of the Four Horsemen. Trademark. Trademark. Trademark holder of the four critical critical trademark well double a thank you so much for joining us we got arn anderson today i love jacksonville have me back sometime we will we will we absolutely will we would be happy to have arn on anytime uh but fun interview one of the things two things that i took away from that that i thought were really interesting one he hinted that he might reprise the four horsemen because he owns the trademark i did not know that that's really interesting um I wonder if that would be a thing. I wonder if AEW's looking at that. That would be very cool. Uh, all us old timers uh, love the horsemen. We'd like to see them come back. The other thing was to hear him talk about when the NWO came in. Because if you were watching wrestling at that time, the NWO came in and just pretty much dominated the competition. That's how it was booked. And as he said, we weren't allowed to fight back. It was pretty much we go in and be abused by the NWO. And that's kind of how it was. I mean, there was a little bit of fighting back eventually but early on particularly when the horsemen were still a thing it was all nwo it was really interesting to hear him say that um so one thing that this brings to mind is the horsemen a lot of people believe they're the greatest faction of all time but as you know with wrestling and the years go by more and more amazing things come about and along the way you've had other great factions DX, um, Evolution, so on and so forth, the Bullet, the Bullet Club, others. Um, so I would say as far as dominant factions go, the, the Four Horsemen are definitely the trailblazers. They paved the way for other dominant heel factions to come about. They were arguably the greatest because they were the first to really do it at that level. I mean, there were other factions around the country and the territories at that point. Um, 
WWF didn't really have one. I guess you could say the Heenan family to a point, which is very respectable. But but prior to that, they they I don't think they they penetrated the national consciousness of wrestling fans because they were doing it on a national TV show. Because in the mid to late 80s, you had Saturday afternoon wrestling nationally. I was watching it up in the Pacific Northwest as a kid, and I was seeing what Ric Flair and Arn Anderson were doing down in Georgia. That's why I think that um, penetration of the public consciousness is why the Four Horsemen are so good. And they dominated that nationally broadcast company. But there have been others to come along. So I wanted to invite some of our um, producers here at Going Ringside to join me on the show. Jason uh, is one of them. And we are going to um, talk with a couple of our producers here at Going Ringside about their thoughts on the greatest factions of all time. Here's Rory, one of our producers, and Jason, both producers, both big wrestling fans. I wanted to get their input. Here's Rory and Jason, our producers here at Going Ringside, on the greatest factions of all time. Well, now we're joined by two of our producers here at Going Ringside, Rory Thompson and Jason Mealy. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us today to talk to our viewers about this issue of greatest factions of all time. Obviously, today we're talking about um, the Four Horsemen. We just talked to Double A. Many people say the Horsemen are the benchmark, the greatest of all time. Wanted to get your opinions because it's been, I think, you know, almost 30 years since the final iteration of the Four Horsemen. Uh, Rory, let me start with you. Thoughts on greatest uh, factions of all time? Well, there's a lot of factions, and I'm a younger wrestling fan, so the Four Horsemen are definitely, like, historically, like, everyone talks about them. But for me, kind of growing up, you know, you have the authority. Uh, you have the Four Horsewomen that were in NXT. Yeah. Um, one that I've kind of been, like, seeing more of and kind of getting more um, acquainted with is like Bullet Club out of New Japan. Um, they have crossed every promotion, basically. Uh, they have, you know, Finn Balor, AJ Styles, Cody Rose are all members, are all were members of the Bullet Club and Kenny Omega. So for me, uh, Bullet Club is one of the more impressive factions of this generation and definitely uh, a faction that kind of you know, it's up there with the greats, in my opinion. Jason, I want to get your opinion before we get your your thoughts uh, on what he said about the Bullet Club. I know you're a big Bullet Club guy. Do you and think they're one of the greatest of all time? You know, now that he brings it up, you've, they've got to be in the conversation because look at everything that they've done. They were at one time, their merchandise was the, was the top seller in some stores, and they weren't on American television. They were on a yeah. cable system. They were on the internet, and You've heard of Kenny Omega, and well, everyone knew who AJ Styles was, and you know you had the Young Bucks, and you know New Japan just a stroke of genius of a hey, let's have the let's have these American guys be these dominating, threatening foreign heels, and it was a, it was a stroke of genius, and it's still going today. It's been many you know many different versions of it, probably not as popular as it was five years ago, but it's I mean they've got to be in the conversation. Speaking of ones in the conversation, Jason, you're the kind of the older generation, as am I. Uh, thoughts? Uh, obviously, Bullet Club is huge in the authority and what they did. And, and other thoughts on possible top factions of all time? 
Yeah, it, it is generational. You know, I mean, the Horsemen were a little bit before my time. I got the tail end of them, and mm-hmm. and Rory had mentioned, you know, the Bullet Club, and you know, you got to throw the Shield in for for current fans. But to me, I'm going to have to go with the New World Order. You know, yeah. as a kid, you know, I watched wrestling as a kid on on Saturday mornings. You grow out of that habit, and then I'm in college, and I overhear someone talking about Hulk Hogan turning bad. Well, I overhear that, and like, well, now I haven't watched this in years. Now I've got to, I've got to see this because I remember Hulk Hogan, and that that's what drew me back in was hearing Hulk Hogan was a bad guy. You turn on WCW, and it was just amazing, and yeah. this they were doing at that time. And then, of course, you want to remember the WWF now WWE then WWF, and then you tune in, and you see what DX is doing. But yeah, I mean, to me, it's got to be the NWO. So let me throw a couple others out there at you. Uh, Roy, this might be before your time, but I saw them pop up and reunited recently. They were controversial, Nation of Domination. You remember uh, them? You had yeah, Ron I Simmons, you had uh, D'Lo Brown, The Godfather. Uh, there were some other ones there too. Why do you think the Horsemen have lasted as long as they have? Because these are guys, people, I mean, if you watch them, you're in your 50s. If you watch the 40s or 50s, if you watch them in the 80s, why do you think they've lasted so long? Do you think it's because of Ric Flair? Because they're associated with Ric Flair? Um, definitely. I think, I mean, Ric Flair is generational. Um, he's a legend. There's there's conversations that say Ric Flair should be on the, the Mount Rushmore of wrestling. Um, Ric Flair is definitely someone who's transcendent wrestling like people aren't familiar with wrestling but they're familiar with rick flair so i would say definitely the four horsemen are kind of like spearheaded by rick flair but in their own they they set a lot of groundwork for what factions could be in wrestling sure. i don't think you get the shield or bullet club or the, even the four you don't get the four horse women without the four horsemen so it's definitely i would say rick flair is kind of where a lot of people are like at least for fans of a newer generation, we're like, okay, we know who Ric Flair is, so we kind of are familiar with the Four Horsemen, but I think just the work that they did early on kind of set the groundwork for every faction going forward. Jason, before we go, what do you think makes the top factions? Is it that they dominate the show so much that they take over? I mean, NWO took over the program. Four Horsemen did do a point. You know, maybe it's it's the longevity thing. You know, when you mentioned, you asked Roy about uh, the Ric Flair. I mean, aren't some of the kids nowadays, you know, holding up the four? They are. Yeah. We talked to Arn about that. We just talked to Arn about that in the interview there. So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's still kids, popular. Kids today, yeah. If kids today who were, weren't were born when the four horsemen are around are, are doing that, that then then it's it's got to say something about the longevity of them and, and that would make them part of the greatest well, Jason Rory, thanks for joining us. We're going to definitely have you guys back again to kind of powwow. All right. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. So it's always fun to talk about the greatest of all time. Jason made an interesting point of NWO. They were, it almost was like they weren't a faction. They just, like, the, they just absorbed the company at this point. NWO, because they were so big, as opposed to, like, a horseman for four guys, DX, three or four guys in China. Same with the Authority. Bullet Club was pretty big. Bullet Club may have been a little closer to an NWO type um, faction, but uh, it was it was a fun conversation. But Arn Anderson, just one of those guys who has kept a pretty steady life, 
Uh, same marriage all these years, four decades later, I want to say. Uh, started in 82, 83, and he's still going strong in 2023. So we're so happy to catch up with Arn. I, I know that the, the, the um, some of the AEW stuff was a little dated. We talked to Arn. This interview was from a couple months ago, and um, some of his stuff with Wardlow was a little dated. We haven't seen Wardlow much lately, but Arn still thinks he has a lot to contribute. He thinks as MJF has a lot to contribute, and he keeps in touch with Cody and doesn't blame Cody for jumping ship and leaving AEW and heading to WWE, where he's obviously um, one of the main faces of the company. But that was our walk down memory lane with AA, the enforcer, Arn Anderson, to discuss him, the Four Horsemen, and all those things he's been involved with over these decades. So thanks for joining us. We'll see you back here next time on Going Ringside. This has been Going Ringside with The Local Station, brought to you every Wednesday on your favorite podcast player on News 4 Jax Plus, as well as the News 4 Jax YouTube channel.